0: Hello, welcome once again to the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. We are all culture makers, cultural participants, and here we want to help you think about culture in a way that honors God and that takes every thought captive to Jesus Christ. I'm Ryan Aris, this is episode two of season two of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation. This season is all about cultural pressure points, where the ground is shifting under our feet and what the timeless authoritative word of God calls normal. Today, we have a field episode of the podcast. Joe Boot was in the UK at Oxford for the Wilberforce Academy and visited with Paul Huxley to talk about God and his word, the role of the pastor, freedom in Christ, and what it means to serve God and others in public life. I hope you enjoy. Over to you, Paul.
1: Hello, and welcome to Wilberforce in conversation, where we bring you discussion with Wilberforce Academy contributors. I'm Paul Huxley and today I'm in conversation with Dr. Joe Boot. He is the founder and director of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and also is the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel in Toronto. But he's in England today at the Wilberforce Academy, of which he is the director. Joe, it's good to speak to you today. And I'd like us to think about those two separate hats you wear, both as a pastor and as someone who talks about culture, about society and about politics. So what would you say say to someone who thinks that talking about politics uh, would get in the way of your calling as a pastor? Well, it's not without its pitfalls, uh, certainly, as a function of
2: where we are as a a culture today and where the Christian church is in uh, its understanding of the scope and extent and power of the gospel, Um, it's certainly not something that is without potential pitfalls Uh, having said that i don't think those are created by the gospel itself or uh, by scripture Uh, the the difficulties that uh, one may encounter in speaking about culture and politics as a pastor uh, are much more related to
1: um, the deficit that is there in our understanding of what the gospel really means so why why is there that deficit and that lack of connection between yeah. um, between those two areas. So I think uh, probably what's important for
2: people to understand is that uh, the, the, the Christian gospel in more modern times than evangelicalism has been quite truncated uh, and been influenced by, well, let's call it a, a two-story uh, view of reality. Uh, philosophically, that would have been called dualism um but uh, perhaps it's more helpful to just think about um uh, a concept of life that came down to us from the greeks uh, that there are really um uh, two kind of substances there's the there's the soul uh, the, the spirit the kind of inner life the, and the world of I- uh, ideas and some of the greeks even talked about f- uh, abstract forms forms a world of forms, world of forms. exactly uh, and then there's the world of matter, there's the, and, and with that is the body uh, and all things material. Uh, and um, it's, you have a sort of a dividing up of reality into two domains. And when that encountered Christianity, uh, early on there was an attempt to sort of, um, throughout the medieval period, and it's influenced the church ever since, a kind of a desire to synthesize these Greek ideas with uh, the Christian understanding of the human person and of, and of human life. So we developed this notion really of an immortal soul um, and the spiritual life and personal piety and things that belong to that upper or higher domain that are most important. And then uh, a sort of lower story of life, of of the material world of creation, um, although the Greeks had no real idea of creation as we understand it, but of of, of a a world of matter and material. And so all the things like... uh, 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 social order and um, um, human sexuality uh, and political life. Well, these things are really um, not sacred. They're not in the upper story. They belong to the secular. They belong to a, a lower story um, of existence that's outside the um, ecclesiastical sphere of the church, which is dealing with higher things, with spiritual things, with uh, the things that matter most—eternal things, as it were—not uh, with this the the lower things. Uh, of, of matter
1: and creation. So, so in so a way, on. you can see how they could come to that when, when you read someone um, like the Apostle Paul's letters and, and yeah. there references to the, the spirit and the flesh. And yeah. um, and it seems like, you know, com- coming from that Greek, with that Greek worldview around mm-hmm. where you've got spirits and you think, oh, well, that's the world of forms and flesh. Well, that's everything mm-hmm. physical. And, you know, generally the flesh is being s- spoken of in a negative way and the spiritual things in a positive yes. way. Um, but so potentially we've mapped uh, those Greek ideas onto those biblical terms. Is that is that was very happening? insightful? Yeah, I mean you should probably just handle this session yourself after a <laughs> comment like that.
2: Um, yes, you're absolutely right. The the issue is, I think that our many of our theological concepts have been shaped by a philosophical understanding um, that has actually. Um, mapped ideas onto the Bible and and onto words in scripture that they don't actually carry. So you have to remember that the inheritance of the New Testament uh, is fundamentally Hebraic. Uh, We're talking about Jesus, who is the Messiah. He's the promised one of um, Israel. Uh, Paul is a Jew. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he called himself. He studied studied under Gamaliel. He's, He's not a Greek philosopher. And so, um, actually when you look at the, uh, carefully study the meaning of those words, when the Bible talks about the soul, for example, it's not talking about a compartment or a segment or a, a part of the human person as though, like the Greeks thought a soul gets dropped into a, a material body and actually salvation is liberation from that body. Um, you know, for the Christian death, uh, is a judgment. It's a punishment, and therefore, our hope is in the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Um, in the Greek mind, um, death of the body—you know—romantically dr- drink the hemlock, uh, yeah. you know, escape uh, the body. There's no greater contrast than um, uh, Socrates and Christ there, uh, in terms of um, the uh, meaning of death. So for the for, in the Bible the soul is a description of the totality of the person. So sometimes the Bible speaks about the spirit or the heart or the soul, it speaks also of the body. But that is uh those are looking at the whole person from different perspectives, not slicing up uh the human person that is an integral being created uh in the image of God. Um into sort of little separable components as though you know when we die um god just um uh, neatly separates uh bits that he'd artificially or temporarily glued together no um uh, what which, which, what the immaterial part of us that goes to the lord at, at the death of our physical body is a brokenness in humanity and we're not actually truly human re- truly renewed until the resurrection so yeah. That's definitely very important to this discussion, that this underlying uh, dualism and and an an unbiblical anthropology has affected the way we think about what the gospel has to say about human life and the departments of life.
1: And I guess then when you have have a pastor then, you know, in this century, 2000 years later, um, in their study, they're looking at a a biblical text and they're they're thinking, what what does this say to me, and what does it say to our congregation? I'm going to preach it on Sunday. Um, then potentially, there's you know, if we're still acting and thinking in those kinds of categories, then um, what is the application of this text? Well, it may more often be something spiritual and internal. You know, believe in Christ more. You know, believe harder. Get this, <laughs> get this thinking right in your head, or, or kind of aimed at the mind and the immaterial things potentially Mm -hmm. rather than what are the practical things that go on in our whole lives, our wider lives, our political lives included, Mm -hmm. um, that those things don't necessarily so easily come to mind because we have this idea that the, the mind, the intellect and, and these abstract things are, um, they're they're more important. Uh, Primary is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Um, is that, is that what happens? uh, I I think
2: that's precisely uh, what's going on. Um, we, we live in an individualistic culture as well um, uh, and you know personal freedom, personal autonomy, personal salvation um, everything um is um uh, personalized and in Christian thought typically and in the mind of the pastor, most of the things that the bible is saying to us, and they will often say the new Testament, even uh, that's another subject, a sort of dualism there that's come in to try and separate uh, the life and worldview of the old Testament from the new, which is, which is a false dichotomy. But the, the, the notion that actually what the Bible is saying to us is really about our personal life, our our spiritual walk with the Lord, um, our, our internal piety, uh, our, uh, our eternal destiny. And so, Yes, there's a there's a sort of radical internalizing of these things. And actually, we're guilty often of a kind of intellectualism, too, which is that the focus becomes solely on uh, the idea of, of mind and of knowledge. Um, and this is really just um, a, a, a transformation in our thinking and the uh, application then of biblical truth and of gospel truth. Uh, becomes um a very limited domain almost to that area of ideas you know of 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 the world of the spirit but you know obviously christianity and politics don't miss and mix and god and jesus don't mix i mean i was speaking to the students this morning just about the biblical teaching about freedom uh in the apostle paul it's for uh freedom that christ has set us free um Jesus himself said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. And there in Galatians 4, Paul is talking to us about not being enslaved again to elemental forces, to uh, things that are not gods. And um, and we see in Acts chapter 17 at the beginning there when he's preaching about Christ and his, his kingship. He's actually invoking a new principle of freedom. And that he was accused of defying the decrees of Caesar and preaching another king, uh, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the charge was in fact true, uh, he was. Now, when we think about freedom as believers, we rightly make an immediate personal application that Jesus has freed me from the power of sin and death. So I'm freed from slavery to sin personally. Uh, but often then we don't take the, uh, the next step. It's very clearly there uh, in scripture. That also that means that a new kind of freedom enters my married life, my family life, also my communal life, my church life in how I relate uh, to members of the body of Christ. And moreover, what the claims of Christ as true sovereign and Lord over the totality of life mean then um, for um, uh, civic life and their political life in other words the totality of life as a whole so you can see how there the risk of that compartmentalization of these sort of two stories of reality means this this principle of freedom stops either at my heart or at the church door at best And once I step outside of that, church, well, the the Christian principle of freedom sort of dissipates because I'm now in the secular so-called world, which in the biblical worldview uh, does not exist. There is no area that is outside of the claims of
1: Christ or the lordship of Christ or the application of his word. All of those relationships, therefore, that you were talking about in family, in church, in society, they're not free in the sense of unconstrained and you can do whatever you want in them. Um, they're still relationships of authority in mm-hmm. different ways in those kind of areas, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that your everyone becomes autonomous when they become right. Jesus's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so there are actually principles and things that Christ would have to say about all of those areas as mm-hmm. well. Freedom is <laughs> relative. So freedom
2: um, from what to be what? So freedom is not an end in itself. I mean, a man floating through space uh, is not free. A beached whale. Uh, right. Uh, a yeah. beached whale is another good illustration. Yeah. You have to be related to something in order to, if a, ma- a man must be related to a planetary body um, in order to move. So, um, yes, the freedom that the Bible is talking about is freedom in terms of relationship to God, uh, in in terms of what uh, human beings are created to be what a human being actually is. Um, uh, It means freedom to serve God. Uh, And that, of course, means service to others as well. And And that 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 principle has tremendous implications, not just inside the life of the church, what it means to serve God and serve others, but what does that mean in my vocation? What does that mean uh, if my vocation is a judge or a lawyer or a politician uh, or a doctor? Uh, or a teacher what what does the the freedom that i have in christ to
1: serve god as his royal priesthood mean there or Um, as a political philosopher let's say mm -hmm. not that many of us are these things (laughs) um but your freedom is not to to start your own you know have your own ideas completely about what what politics should be like Mm -hmm. um But they're actually constrained by what what does the Bible say about this? Precisely. There
2: is a, uh, again, that's the the, the relative nature of freedom. Freedom is either going to be relative to man and his idea of himself, or it will be relative to God and his word revelation. So the freedom of a Christian political philosopher is to think through carefully uh, in light of scripture and in light of God's work in creation and in history, uh, what it means uh, to to think about political life in terms of a biblical world and life view it does not mean an absolute freedom and autonomy to develop um a political philosophy grounded in any idea of
1: man or any idea of the state that we might choose so bringing it then back to to pastors in mm. their churches um uh with with that may, maybe daunting calling of hang on um actually the Bible may say th- some things about um, about how we live in society how we do politics and, and other things um, but mm. who um, who's a bit unsure about it maybe I mean what what examples are there from scripture of people mm. doing that mm-hmm. God's people um, in speaking about political matters and not just salvation matters mm-hmm. or kind of internal matters well there's, there's, uh, there's multiple examples
2: and I think the and I, I will refer to a few but um i think what's important to remember is that the, the the prophets um the apostles uh the patriarchs they did not uh, think of the word of god as something to be uh, i'll use a big word now ecclesiasticized so they they were not guilty of a kind of churchism or synagogism um and, and I think this is the challenge facing um, many pastors today is that what we've done, we, we, when we think about the word of God, we've, we've radically limited the jurisdiction of God's word. And this is a terrible thing actually, that's uh, afflicted the church. We've effectively said that the word of God is a church book. It's uh it's a book, um, uh, it's a it's a word more than a book. It's a word because, of course, there is God's word in creation itself, which is an instantiation of God's word. There's the incarnate word in Christ and there's the inscripturated word. And those are a unity. Yeah. So we cannot really truly understand one without the other. Yeah. Uh, they, they must be you can't understand
1: what it is for God to be the rock. No,
2: if you don't know what a rock is, you don't exactly a very, very good example. You you can't you can't know what it means to be. The Lord is my shepherd if you don't know what a shepherd is. So there is a in order to to see God's word in his creation. Right. We need the lens of scripture. But we in order to understand scripture, we need the creation all around us that is that is uh, the upheld and sustained by the word of God. So we have a very limited understanding uh, of the word. And we take the inscripturated word of God and we basically uh, said, this is a church book. So we've ecclesiasticized it. And by ecclesiasticizing the Bible, um, the irony is that we actually radically politicize the church. Because when we say that we do not apply this word to the world and the totality of life, And therefore fail to notice and take along with all of the other aspects of what God's word is saying to us. When we fail to recognize the social and political and cultural implications of what it's saying and refuse to teach about that and speak about that. Then people then in the life of the congregation don't have no political views or no cultural views. They simply have that they bring into the life of the church. All the views that are out there that they've been taught in university or in school or on the television or whatever else. So they adopt all the secular, humanistic, pagan uh, perspectives um, on cultural and political life. And because we ecclesiasticize the word and we say we mustn't apply it to those areas, their views on those things are never brought under the light of Scripture. The the, 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 the light of Scripture is never brought to bear on those humanistic, pagan, idolatrous ideas that we have in our, the life of our culture, that we that we bring into the life of the church, and of course, pastors become nervous about addressing those things because we feel, well, I don't want to offend. We'll come to that in a moment, and so on. And we then worry about the implications of of calling out those idols, exposing the works of darkness, exposing idolatry in. Uh, familial life, cultural life and so on. But then when you look in scripture, you don't see uh, God's servants um, restricting the word of God in that way. So Moses, when he's called to what is uh, a religious task and obviously a very political task to see the people of Israel, a whole nation enslaved uh, within Egypt and God calls him to uh, tell Pharaoh that God commands, the living God commands that he releases people to serve him. Moses doesn't say, well, Lord, you know, uh, I'm not a politician. Um, You know, know, biblical faith and politics don't mix. You know, we really just need to keep this for the Hebrews. You know, the covenant is only for them, Um, etc., etc., etc. No, he confronts Pharaoh and even takes a mouthpiece, Aaron, because Pharaoh would have spoken through a mouthpiece. Because Pharaoh was well aware when Moses was stood in front of him that this was a challenge between two gods this was a challenge uh, that he was facing as the living God of Egypt. And here was a man who was saying, uh, actually that the the God of all creation commands you, let my people go. Uh, Nathan, the prophet, when God sends him to, to King David doesn't say, well, you know, Lord, he is a politician and I, uh, we do need to be careful about mixing any, you know, if he wants to take another wife, that's really his business. No, Nathan confronts David over his, um, adultery, and then people might say, "Ah, well, you know, Joe. Now these are very good examples, but they're in this is national Israel. Uh, these salvation are salvation history. This these is are, these exactly, are the line of David and line of yeah, uh, exactly, and so on. But that cannot be said about Jonah's mission to the heart of the Assyrian Empire, where he is commanded to call the people of Nineveh to repentance um, in terms of the Word of God." And even though he is the most dejected, successful evangelist in the history of Scripture, (laughs) um, there is repentance from the monarch down in a pagan nation. Amos is concerned in many of his prophecies, not with the nation of Israel and Judah, but uh, with the pagan nations all around him. And one of the greatest examples, of course, is um, one of the greatest examples is Daniel and his friends in Babylon. And the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar and the way that Nebuchadnezzar, one of Nebuchadnezzar's responses to his recognition of who the living God really is, is to change the law in Babylon. And we see this repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. And you move on into the New Testament and you've got Peter confronting the Jewish Sanhedrin saying, should I obey God or men? No, I will. I will continue whatever you say to preach the, the gospel of Christ. Paul, in the same way, is before the Athenian court. He's before Festus, Agrippa, Felix. He appeals his case all the way to Caesar. And the obvious challenge in the early church is Christ or Caesar. Who is Lord? There was no this ridiculous notion that um, religion and political life can be separated. We certainly believe in the separation of the jurisdiction of the ecclesiastical office of the church and of the state. But there is no disestablishment of religious principle or an idea of sovereignty from the state and the uh the greco-roman world understood that far better than most christians today and that was why
1: the church was persecuted you know the idea that you can separate religion and state actually is so recent Mm -hmm. historically isn't it Um, very um and christians don't always realize that and and think well think the secularism is neutral is normal and neutral um okay so um so you, you mentioned um, the kind of sticking points that some people have about talking about politics um, mm-hmm. in, in the church. Um, so three possible things that um, people might be worried about. Um, possibly talking about politics might um, divide Christians who already go to the church um, because some of them are left-leaning, some are right-leaning. Does it cause unnecessary divisions? Um, secondly, does uh, does this actually draw attention away from the gospel—is um, it just a secondary thing that that will just inevitably distract um, from that? And then also, what's it, what's its impact on um, the evangelistic life of the church um, when you have, um, say, a pastor who's well known for particular views? Does that stop mm-hmm. people with other views coming and hearing the gospel and and being converted? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on those kinds of issues? Well, maybe you can uh, remind me of each of those as we go along. But if I uh, I take the first one.
2: Um, first which was uh what was it uh dividing Uh, christians yes does it divide christians um i think a faithful pastor knows in the life of the church that um all biblical truth wherever it's applied whether it's to the individual to uh, the family to marriage um divides uh, I mean, Jesus himself said, I have not come to bring peace with a sword and that this message is going to divide mother and father, um, you know, uh, even parents and children from one another, which is to say the, 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 the gospel of the kingdom that we proclaim uh, is divisive. Any pastor who's ever been involved in any kind of church discipline knows that faithfully representing the word of God into people's lives. Uh, Will bring division and sometimes the result will be rebellion. Uh, Sometimes the result will be repentance um, and faith and um, recommitment. Moreover, we don't as believers uh, when we get converted suddenly by some kind of osmosis and know how to think scripturally about all these different areas of life. When you become a believer, Um, I mean, Paul has to say to Timothy, Timothy, think over what I say so that God will give you understanding in all things. So even Timothy there, was being discipled by the apostle Paul is in a growth process. He's learning. He's growing. And every pastor in their own ministry knows that even as leaders, as pastors, as shepherds, we are growing in our understanding. We're growing in our ability to lead. We're growing in our ability to faithfully shepherd. So um, because the word of God um, is appropriate for um, correction, rebuke, reproof for, for training in righteousness, it's, 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 it's good for all of these things. Um, much of what you're doing as a shepherd is corrective. And uh, only pastors whose concern is to simply tickle people's ears and tell people what they want to hear will ever be able to avoid a division um, in the life of uh, of their church, if you speak about, I mean, what pastor doesn't know that if you address the issue of music and worship in the life of the church, or uh, um, the nature and character of um, uh, of communion um, in the life of the church, and what that baptism, means, election. baptism, church discipline, <laughs> yeah, exactly, you can multiply these issues uh, ad nauseum. Um, and so, what's required of the pastor? and the way I've tried to, 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 to live as a pastor is faithfulness, that, that's my commitment the, the, my, what God requires of me is faithfulness to the whole counsel of God Paul is able to say to the elders on the beach there before his departure I have not uh, held back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God I'm, I'm innocent now of the blood of all men because I've I've made known to you the whole counsel of God and if we as pastoral leaders as shepherds in the church say well, well you know I don't want to risk division so I dare not say anything about this I dare not take a stance on human identity and human sexuality I dare not take a, a stance on on justice and what that really looks like biblically I dare not take a stance on uh, uh, tithing and what we do with our what we do economically we, I dare not take a stance on this or that or the other then then we don't we simply do not have a faithful ministry and um we will not be able to see the church built and grow in any meaningful way i don't mean simply adding numbers you can put on a pop show with dry ice and add numbers for a season but you will not build the church the building of the church uh requires um faithfulness and um as soon as we do that in any given area it will uh involve some kind of division uh Including the area of
1: culture, including the area of politics. Um, going on to one of those other points, you know, what what is your experience in terms of the effect on evangelism um, mm-hmm. of for for you and the local church? Being someone who does speak about these kinds of things often, mm-hmm. do you find that people, um, you know, do you get do you get stick at your church your church for that? Do you get people, you know, do you get stick from the community ar- around you? People saying, "Oh, don't go to that church because." joe mm. joe boot he's this terrible person he believes mm. x y or Z. Mm. um do you how does it affect evangelism at all because i could also see it having, yeah. having the opposite effect potentially mm. because it might be oh here's someone who mm. here's a church leader who's actually saying something that has a practical effect on our lives yes. and um yeah. i don't think it necessarily has to be negative what well i think, think there's a couple of things there i mean
2: in in uh in ontario in canada um in toronto where i am uh we have a sort of um almost a celebrity figure now who's emerged out of Toronto University, uh, a man called Jordan Peterson, who is not a Christian, um, but who has been uh, in certain things, in certain areas, speaking common sense about human life, uh, human identity, responsibility, accountability, maturity. And thousands of millennials are flocking to hear him speak. Um Now, of course, some of what he's saying is not informed by a Christian world and life view. But to the extent that he, as somebody who's been shaped by essentially Christian ideas, is becoming a kind of surrogate shepherd, surrogate father to a fatherless generation. Um, And uh, simply because he says, you know, I'm I'm not going to go along with that culturally. That doesn't seem right to me. Now. Uh, whatever we may think of him, it's important to recognize that the scripture has much to say about the ordinary life of the person. For example, Paul, the apostle says to men, uh, if a man is not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. If a man does not take care of his own, is it that especially the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, when was the last time you heard a pastor preaching on the subject of a man's responsibility in his house to provide for his own? And if he's not willing to work, he's worse than an unbeliever. We shy
1: away from things like that. Jordan Peterson is talking about things like that in his own way. And he's got thousands of people paying hundred hundred dollars to for a ticket at one of his events. He's charging. goodness, goodness
2: me! Some of his events, I think he's charging sixty thousand dollars speaking fee now, and that's how much because people, people want, want to hear, hear him. him. So, we actually do great disservice to the power of the gospel and its significance when we do not. You see, the Bible transcends these humanistic conceptions of left and right politically the bible is not a book that's on the left or the right because god is not defined by the seating positions of the french revolution the bible scripture the word of god speaks to the whole life of man to the religious root of who we are as people it, it speaks to the the heart in the bible is not our emotions it's the seat it's the it's the it's the root unity of the human person so that when our hearts are transformed by the power of the word of God, it changes everything, not just a component, but everything. Not just the mind. But not uh, just the mind, the, right? but the totality the. of the person as it is expressed in uh, every aspect of our lives. And so that means the Bible transcends the word of God as it speaks to the heart of man, transcends all of these humanistically devised limitations. And it will say things that on the one hand, in terms of, Uh, sacrificial giving in our lives and concern for our neighbor and the stranger and the alien sound kind of as though they're on the left. uh, When in fact they don't bear any resemblance to the radicalism of, of the French revolution's idea of liberty, fraternity and equality. And then it says other things about responsibility, accountability and justice that sound like they're on the right. But actually don't bear resemblance to these very um, narrow, limited um, definitions of man that modern um, uh, liberal uh, or libertarian or or, or, or conservative ideas uh, that are merely traditional or customary and rooted in, you know, just simply principles of rights and inherited rights and contractual rights and so Party on. Um, it, it rises above all of that. So as long as people can see that what you are saying is arising from the word of God, actually, no, I find the opposite is the case, that people want to hear what you are saying. If it's faithful to Christ, it's faithful to the word. No, as, as pastors, we're not playing partisan politics. We're not saying... Uh, Oh, you need to follow this ideological view or follow this because the word of God is not ideology. It's the word of God. And so we must bring all of our ideas in submission to the word of God. So I think that when we as a church proclaim the whole counsel of God, we enhance, not detract from the power of the gospel because people can see integrity in that. They can see consistency in that and they don't see us trying to glue on some foreign idea onto the Bible for some particular limited uh, opinion poll based um, uh, pseudo
1: political purpose. So if this is a totally new area for a pastor who Mm -hmm. has gone to maybe gone to a Bible college where this stuff isn't talked about. And and they they have maybe bought into that dualism a little bit, and their job is to create pious Christians who pray lots, who read their Bible lots, but maybe mm-hmm. don't have much impact beyond that in, in into polit- politics and so on. um What kind of um what well, t- tell me what what would be the number one thing you want them to to get a. Get a hold of in their minds, and really, um, what's what's the what's the first thing that they should be really trying to think about and Mm -hmm. and understand? I mean, so say they they've realised actually, yeah, we do need to speak about these things. What's the first thing they need to know? I think the first thing we need to think about um, is that
2: we're not moralising. What we are talking about when it comes to the word of God, which is the truth, it doesn't simply describe certain truths. Christ is the truth. We're talking about the foundation of all truth is that the word of God describes because the the, in fact in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. All things were made through him without him. Nothing was made that was made in him was life and that life was the light of men. Paul says in Romans 11 that for from him and through him and to him are all things. So Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. So we need to, I think the first thing I would say is we need to recover what we mean, what God means, what scripture means by the word of God uh, as a power, as um, a uh, as reality, as uh, both descriptive and constitutive of reality in its totality, we're not gluing some kind of moral code onto this sort of uh, um, uh, lower realm, this this lower world of, of of matter and culture and politics. No, the word of God in Christ, I hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's no limitation on that. God is in Christ, reconciling the world. To himself. So we need to recover a vision of the gospel. Good news. I mean, that was part of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, And the good news is that Jesus Christ is Lord and sovereign and king, and that he is reconciling everything back to the Father. And we have the privilege as pastors, as shepherds, as ministers of reconciliation, to participate in this glorious process. Of this good, though fallen creation being restored back to God. And when we begin to conceive of our ministry like that, not as some, oh, I've been called to full-time ministry. That means I've been called to an institutional, simply an institutional role. As though that's, I'm, I've been called to holy orders now. I'm, I'm in ministry. No, it's to recognize that our task is simply to equip God's people For the work of ministry, we're not doing the ministry all the ministry. We have a small part to play in the kingdom of God, but we are there to serve the equipping of God's people in all their varied vocations for the task of ministry. And that ministry is the reconciliation of all things to God. That's the first thing that we need to get a hold of. We need to grasp the power and scope of the gospel And the power and scope of the word of God so that we're liberated from these truncated, dualistic, um, artificial, unscriptural separations and dichotomies that would limit us in seeing the word of God as somehow purely a church book. If we start there, all these other pieces will begin to uh, make sense and we'll start to read actually the Bible with new eyes. start to see things in scripture that we'd never really seen before about the glorious scope of its of its application because we assumed it was all about our personal exactly
1: or piety potentially before yes we
2: will actually see prayer and bible reading in the way that scripture wants us to see prayer and bible because it's not minimizing the importance of prayer um but when paul talks about prayer he says um pray for kings and governors and all those in authority that we might lead a peaceful life
1: yeah
2: (laughs) a quiet life because there is only one mediator he says between man and god and it isn't the state and it isn't kings and it is the man jesus christ now go and think about the implications of all of that yeah Yeah. that's quite a lot to think about quite a lot to think about what
1: what are the starting points for that then so what um what resources can you recommend um for people who have this vision but you know they they just simply haven't done much study on what the bible says on these things and Mm -hmm. where can they go to start to start to get a bigger broader sense sure well i will i will start with a shameless plug
2: um because i have the opportunity to do so um i've been have been thinking and reflecting on these things for some time so um i have written myself a couple of books that might be a helpful starting point for people. The first would be a a thin little resource, actually an easy starting point is a book called gospel culture, gospel culture, living in God's kingdom. Um, And that's, uh, I think uh, a helpful, readable introduction to this very issue. And then uh, I have a a more expansive volume that develops uh, those themes into different areas. And it's called the mission of God. What kind of areas do you, do you want to tell us what sure. areas are covered in, in the that? mission of God? So yeah. uh, I think about political uh, philosophy. Um, I think about uh, and reflect on the uh, the sort of counterfeit kingdom of God, that we, uh, kingdom of man, I should say, that we see operative in the world. The ideas of utopia and how these have affected the way we think about uh, social, political, cultural life. Um, I, th- I think about justice and what justice means. Um, I think about uh, education um, and uh, culture in the arts and the calling of the church. So these are the kind of things that um, uh, I'm sort of trying to reflect on and expand on for people in those in those books. Uh, another little book called Gospel Witness. Um, when it comes to um, uh, um, uh, political life in particular, um, an excellent little book by. Um, one of the fellows of the Ezra Institute, um, named Willem Awanel, Willem Willem Awenale, uh, is called "Power in Service." Power in Service, and it's published by Paideia Press. So the other books I just talked about are available from either Ezra Press or Wilberforce Publications, depending on whether you're in, in America Britain or... or in North America. <laughs> yeah. And um, Willem's book, Power in Service, is available through the Ezra Institute, um, and uh, I think it's also available through through Amazon. Uh, uh, Paideia, uh, Paideia Press Power in Service and that, that, that's a helpful primer on thinking about
1: Christianity and political life That's great um, I'll just add, add to that your own institute's uh, Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity publish um, uh, what do you call it? A, a journal a, a journal a journal uh, called Jubilee which has lots of really useful articles um, is it how often is it? Is it? So it, it's a triannual journal so
2: it's out three times a year yeah. And uh, we basically tackle in each issue a different area of, um, of life, of culture, of, um, of politics, uh, uh, of the arts, whatever it may be. And we bring, uh, we're trying to bring a scriptural world and life view to bear in our reflections on what does it mean to think Christianly, to think scripturally about this particular area of life. And so it does make a useful resource to pastors, uh, Christian students, and actually just thinking Christians in any vocation, thinking, uh, reflecting on what it means to uh, live and apply um, the biblical uh, world and life view. And the beauty is it's actually, at uh, the point of delivery, I should say, it's free. <laughs> not free <beauty>. So <laughs> it's not free for us to make, uh, but it is uh, free f- to pe- for people to receive. And you can so find th- about that
1: online? Online, uh, EzraInstitute.ca. Of- and you can sign up for it for free online. That's great. Um, and that's where we would find articles by you as well, in general, as well as the Christian Concern yeah, website. Christian Concern course. website and, and uh, various them. articles, interviews, lectures, podcasts, all kinds of resources on the Ezra Institute website as well. Yes. Great. Thanks very much, Joe, for talking to me today. Um, listeners, please let me know if you have any thoughts or questions about what we've been talking about. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. You can email me at uh, info at christianconcern.com. Please also make sure you like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash c-c-f-o-n. And please sign up to receive our news emails at Christianconcern.com slash sign up. Uh, Those emails will also let you know when there are more discussions like this available. Thanks very much for listening. God bless.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, share, rate the podcast on your favorite listening platform. For more Ezra Institute resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.